Hey, have you heard about our all-new free PDF that you can download? It's called Five Ways Unresolved Trauma May Be Derailing Your Relationship. And if you're a couple that has done the date nights and attended the relationship retreats and learned the communication skills, read the latest books on marriage, but you still find yourself stuck in a loop of pain and frustration, then this PDF is for you. If one moment everything is fine and the next moment everything feels crazy and that is familiar, I encourage you to go to restoringthesoul.com, scroll down, fill in your email, and get the free copy of our all-new PDF, Five Ways Unresolved Trauma May Be Derailing Your Relationship. You're going to find it very helpful. Most people feel like they read this and they wonder if we've been reading their mail. They say, this is us. It's going to be of help. Check it out now at restoringthesoul.com. questions haunt every life, writes Andy Crouch. The first, what are we meant to be? The second, why are we so far from what we're meant to be? Hello and welcome to Restoring the Soul, a podcast dedicated to helping you close the gap from what you're meant to be and what keeps you from being all that. I'm your producer, Brian Beatty. Thank you for listening. Now, In this edition of Restoring the Soul, Michael welcomes Andrew Bauman, author of The Sexually Healthy Man. Now, you may have grown up in the 90s during the height of the True Love Waits movement, accompanied by Joshua Harris's bestseller, I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Many of the ideas perpetuated by this culture were infused with fear and shame, offering no practical help or guidance in equipping young people to become healthy, sexual human beings. As a result, shame accompanied any thoughts around sexuality, with guys trying to white-knuckle purity and falling short over and over again, leaving them with feelings of self-hatred and hopelessness. But as you'll discover in today's conversation with Michael, Andrew hopes his brand new book will serve as the guide, providing comfort and clarity to those who find themselves in a similar struggle for sexual health. The essays in the book are not only for men, but also for women who want to understand what healthy sexuality can look like. Speaking of women, you may remember Andrew's wife, Christy, as she was a guest on a September 2020 podcast called The Theology of the Womb. Definitely something worth checking out. Now, Andrew has graciously provided us two copies of The Sexually Healthy Man that we'll send to a few randomly selected listeners. All you need to do to qualify is log into Apple Podcasts and write a review of Restoring the Soul. Couldn't be easier. Now, be sure to listen to next week's podcast for an update on the winners. Now, without any further delay, here's your host, Michael John Cusick. So, Andrew Bauman, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So glad to be here. Been wanting to do this for a long time. We met um, months ago through a kind of mutual connection, and then you gave me the opportunity to look at your book um, ahead of time, and that was just a a treat. So I'm glad it's out now. Yes, yes, I'm excited. The sexually healthy man is now out, and I appreciate your endorsement. And yeah, I'm I'm excited to talk about it today. There's not a lot of books, as you well know, written on. Um, sexuality for men that have much substance. And I'd like to think that my book has some substance beyond the normal, just don't do it, bounce your yes. eyes. 
and exactly. get, more, get more accountability. But let's come back to the title, The Sexually Healthy yes. Man, Essays on Spirituality, Sexuality, and Restoration. And for uh, a listener, they might say, Sexually Healthy Man is an Oxymoron. So why'd you, yes. why'd you title it that? So for, for me, growing up in the South, in the Deep South, I heard a lot about, um, you know, no, a lot about sexual shame. I didn't hear a lot of tools about how do we actually become sexually healthy. And sadly, I learned through my own failure, uh, 13 years addicted to pornography, um, trying to then um, 12 years ago, being married. I've been sober for about 12 years now. And, And yet realizing how much damage porn had done to my style of relating, how much it hindered me to have genuine intimacy with my wife, genuine connection. Um, that 13 years of, of porn really, really messed with how I viewed women, how I viewed beauty, how I engaged in a healthy way. And so for me, that was really the beginning of deconstructing something that I knew was toxic and then spending the last you know 12 years really trying to build a comprehensive, like positive you know, sexual ethic that what, what can we actually hang our hats on as Christian men? So right away, uh, you didn't deal with that problem of porn and your sexuality because it was quote a sin and you felt guilty or because your wife caught you, but you really started to see the cumulative effect that it had on you. So say more about, specifically, yeah. you said the style of relating that was yeah. there. Yeah, what I call it is is a pornographic style of relating. And basically, if porn is your main sex ed teacher, um, for me, you know, my parents didn't talk about it. My church didn't talk about it besides, no, don't do it. And so porn became my, my mentor. Porn became my teacher. And so I learned how to be sexual from pornography. And so we unconsciously take that into you know, and then fast forward. So I started when I was 13. Now fast forward that into my adult relationships. And I begin to bring the style of relating to my real world relationships. And my relationships are floundering. I'm jumping from woman to woman, just like I'm clicking to the next image to fulfill me. I'm doing that in real world relationships. And until I met my current wife, realizing, whoa, and I sabotaged it, of course, because here, here I was face to face with a real woman. And I knew if I dated or if I obviously married this woman, I would be exposed as the fraud that I was because genuine uh, intimacy, a genuine partner will expose you. And so I knew, and again, it, it took a lot of time, a lot of deconstructing my own life to realize what do I actually want? And I was actually sitting in uh, Dr. Allender's marriage and family class. This was 15 years ago. And I'm sitting there listening to him talk about marriage and I'm dating another woman. Christy and I weren't talking. Um, and I'm like, what am I doing? Like, I love Christy. What am I doing? And realizing that I was acting out the same pattern I had been acting out for years and years and years. I'd moved to a new school. I went to like five different colleges and I would just find a beautiful woman to be affirmed and get my needs met, use her um, to get my own brokenness, my own wounding. Um, met and it would never actually work. And until I realized that, that's when I started changing my life. 
What's so fascinating about what you're talking about is um, people might think, okay, if men watch porn, and of course, this is a big issue for women too, but we're talking specifically in the context of men. And I would encourage women to read your book because uh, even in the uh, endorsements, and I read some of the Amazon reviews, women said this was healing for me. But that people think, okay, porn affects what men do in the bedroom. You know, they want me to do this or that and act like a porn star. But what you're talking about is that the everyday relating, the inability to commit, the inability for your heart to be grounded, to exactly. feel safe in the presence of a woman, to believe the truth about who you are as a man. Exactly. And I think one of the largest ones is an unconscious misogyny. Misogyny means a hatred of women, right? So as I am learning at 13 years old, women are here for my pleasure. Women are here to be used. I am learning about, and then as my mom is very timid, um, does not engage my violent father, I am learning, I'm taking all these messages in that, oh, women are to be silent. The church told me that, right? So I'm, I'm getting all these sexist messages that are rooted in misogyny, that, and then I'm using porn, which is saying women are here to serve me. So I bring this selfishness into relationship. I bring this unconscious misogyny. And until we can really address that within ourselves, that's when we can actually begin to heal and we can begin to honor beauty, honor women rather than devour them. And there, there's a message that's growing more and more widespread in the non-Christian world where women are now um, saying that porn is a positive thing and they're being porn positive. And that that, for a lot of different reasons, that's troubling to me, but it's sad because it perpetuates misogyny and it's women that are perpetuating it saying that this empowers me. Right. And and that's where I feel like the, the, the big business of porn has actually begun to win where the internalized misogyny women have now become participants, especially you know, where I live in Seattle, it's like, it's so cool to be sex positive means somehow being porn positive. And I'm like, oh, you know, I have so many friends, therapists that we just very disagree. We disagree vehemently about porn usage. And they're like, no, it's, you know, shame is bad. And then they go to this other extreme. And I talk about it in the book where they're engaging just shamelessness. I'm like, that is no closer to the answer than shame is. Shame is wrong, but also the other extreme is also wrong. We can't just bless everything uh, and call it good. It's not good. It's not, it's causing us to change our view of men and women. You make this analogy in your book about uh, nutrition, you know, so people will often say, well, if it's not hurting anybody, then it's okay, but uh, we can eat junk food and it tastes delicious and it may not be hurting us per se, but it's certainly not making us healthy. Yes, exactly. So, and enough consumption over time, you know, will will hurt you, will will make you very unhealthy, will make you obese sexually. Yeah. Anybody who watches uh, Super Size Me, well, the, <laughs> yes, the guy, exactly. the guy that ate McDonald's three times a day for 30 days, his, his doctor, exactly. you know, pretty much confined him to an institution until he stopped. <laughs> yes. let's, let's back up to the very beginning of your book. I don't know if it was in the dedication or not. I'm going from memory, but you you spoke about how the book I think it was dedicated to the ones, the men who were willing to do the awkward and painful work. Mm, I think everybody understands the awkward part of looking into your sexuality, but um, the traditional method is flex your muscles, don't look at porn, Mm. don't lust at women, and yet you're inviting men into a painful process. Say, Say what that process is like. 
Yeah. I mean, I have the honor, um, and you do as well, to be front row seats to courageous men um, every day who are battling for integrity, who are fighting for something different, who have been inundated with these messages of toxic masculinity. Um, and the only way through healing, the only way to resurrection is through crucifixion. The only way for us to be healed is to bleed, is to suffer and to, to die. I, I don't want to, uh, in a sense, my own healing journey, like it, it hurts to remember the shame. It hurts to remember my years of addiction. It hurts to remember the women who I harmed. And yet I have to tell the truth about my story. I have to feel the weight of my sin so I can move beyond my sin. Talk about what you mean by sin, because I, I, mm-hmm. I believe that we have a similar hamartiology. That's the big theological mm-hmm. word for theology of sin. But some mm-hmm. people hearing this might be hearing, okay, sin, stop looking, stop lusting. Mm-hmm. And you're talking about sin as this relational style. Yeah, yeah. No, it's much deeper than just the behaviors, right? I'm talking about um, the objectification of beauty, the, the literally, if we we're just talking about uh, viewing women as objects, like how do I begin to change the relationship with beauty, with, with women? With, like it, it's much deeper than that. It doesn't need to be a naked woman to be porn. I can pornify a woman with 25 coats on, you know, and a blanket over her head. Like it doesn't matter. Um, what am I doing with the image bearer of God? To me, that is the sin that, or the, the fantasy of what I do after I don't engage her. What do, you know, how do I engage her with honor rather than objectification? You know, I've been to the Middle East several times, and if you see a woman in a, a burqa uh, where all but her, her eyes are covered and she's looking out, there's something about the coveredness and then mm. just the candy bar-sized window of her eyes that it's so alluring and it's almost magnetic yes. and it's it's not appropriate yes. to look a woman in the face but it brought up this idea of how it's the feminine light in the eye how it's the gaze mm-hmm. of am i seen and it wasn't about yes. body parts cuz all you saw was this this right. uh, non-sexual part of clothing and so when you bring up this idea right. that it's not necessarily about the genitals or the sexual parts yeah. It brings up this issue of what we're really looking for, what we're really hungry for in yes. our lust. Talk about yes. that because it it really is about pain, emptiness, loneliness, and a, and yes. a, a disconnected <clears throat> search for connection. Exactly. Yeah. So, the, so the two main points are: we eroticize our pain to make sense of our pain. We sexualize our brokenness. So that's why it doesn't help to just you know, get a bunch of, um, you know, porn software to help you not look at porn. And you got to deal with the pain. You got to deal with what is being sexualized, right? What type of porn are you viewing? What type of porn are you drawn to? Are you aroused by? You have to begin to be curious. And that's why judging yourself, being harsh, contempt, not helpful, not helpful at all. Can we be kind and curious to what drives us, to what drives the use, what drives, um, you know, the unwanted sexual behavior, what drives the arousal. And if you can begin to be curious and normally have, you know, guys with you have a sage that, that is ahead of you on the journey to help you, you can really uncover a lot of treasures, um, and, and really heal some of the young parts within us that are within all of us. 
these parts of us that we then sexualize to somehow mend or care for those wounded places. So that would be a huge one. Caring for the wounded places. That's such a powerful mm-hmm. statement because, you know, it's our mothers who mm-hmm. are the first ones to care for us in that way and yes. to, to hold us in their womb and to birth us and to take us to their breast and to nourish us and then to be there when we uh, skin our knee, etc. And yes. and there's that there's a search for a primal connection with feminine yes. beauty that yes. that truly is life giving. Yes, exactly. And so much of, you know, uh, and I'm still kind of working this out in my mind, but I don't know if I've met a single uh, man who has an unhealthy relationship with pornography that doesn't have some type of issues with his mother. Like you've got to look at the mother wound. You got to engage. And again, it doesn't make her all bad. It doesn't, right. it, she, she's just, she's not Jesus. Like she has harmed you. Your father has harmed you. We have to explore those, those wounding, especially with the feminine. Um, if you are trying to um, dominate the feminine or objectify the feminine, like there's a story there. there. There's something there that we have to be explored. And therefore, a big part of your work as uh, you and Christy have separate practices and, and do work together is really to get into people's stories, to unpack the meaning, the wounds, the way that we've mishandled our pain and our needs. Yes, Exactly. Exactly. I'm tired of just the quick fixes. And that's why it's like, you know, I turn down people all the time. Like if you're not ready to, to suffer, if you're not ready to, to bleed, you can find another therapist. Like, sorry, but it's like, we, like, I I feel a, a calling, a deep calling that, that we have to get to the source of these, of these issues that are causing so much heartache, so much pain, so many broken marriages, um, and, and we've got to grow that courage. And when you're looking at porn, you're much more of an adolescent boy than you are a courageous man. Yeah. And for so many of us, it starts in uh, late childhood or early adolescence when we're starting yes. to have that sense of uh, turning from a boy into a man that's being formed in us. And exactly that adolescent picture seems really, really true. That was true for me uh, of yeah. I'm not going to relate to a woman. I'm going to use her and to objectify yes. her. Um, I want to back up. You, you mentioned Dr. Allender. You took that class 15 years ago. I took it 30 years ago. And <laughs> I, I know he, he is involved in his thinking and he's more prolific, but a lot of the same material. And he said to me once, part of what's underneath lust for men is that the beauty of femininity, not just a particular woman, but the beauty of femininity awakens a longing for tenderness Mm, And men don't want to be vulnerable. We don't want to uh, acknowledge that we need tenderness because it feels weak. And so we make the woman pay. Yes. Talk about that. Exactly. Exactly. Well, it's this, it's this back and forth. It's this push pull. I love you and I hate you. Right. And and that's part of this. We have to name. I, I, I love a woman for what she can give me. And I hate her because of how much power she has over me because of how much power. And that's the ambivalence that we have to name as those recovering with unwanted sexual behaviors. Like I love you and I hate you. Um, and, and so much, we, we don't name the hatred part. We just kind of name, Oh, I love women or, you know, I can't get enough of women. It's like, no, you actually hate them. You actually want to destroy them. Um, and will you, will you own that? And then you can begin to heal that. And I think that's part of that dichotomy that you're naming 
Um, like we hate that the kindness that a woman's offers us, uh, it scares us. Genuine intimacy is terrifying. One of the things I love about the book is that it's not just a front to back book. Uh, it's a series of essays and yes. some of them are very short and provocative uh, and thoughtful and others are a little longer, but I love the titles because it was essays, you know, they're kind of standalone yeah. titles. And one of them was when men rule the world and yes. you shared the story in there about how, when you were just starting to uh, date Christy, your wife, <laughs> that she's a very strong woman. If anybody's listened to the podcast that I've done with her, <laughs> yes. I mean, her strength and passion comes out and yes. she's really uh, substantial and there's a lot there. And so, yes. Somebody challenged you, like, are you sure you want a woman like that? Don't, don't <laughs> exactly. you just want someone who's going to be your helpmate? Exactly. And gosh, that's a book in and of itself, because yes. the implication is somebody who will help make your life easy. As, yes, a, as exactly. opposed to what you unpack in the book is that that presented, you had to step up and out of yourself into that place where you felt like you would be inadequate. Exactly. And it's, exactly. it's, it's there that you discovered your power. Exactly. Exactly. And that's what I, I briefly mentioned earlier. I knew she was a real woman that I would have to contend with. And, and when I was a coward, when I was using, I, I didn't think I had what it took to actually um, step up. And yet stepping into that relationship, being called to more, I've actually stepped more fully into my power than ever before. And I can take her on and she can take me on and we're equals. Um, and, and, and like that is the partnership she's a helpmate to me and I'm a helpmate to her and we serve each other in that way. Um, and to me, that is what a healthy relationship is rather than the, the kind of the hierarchy that she is there supposed to just serve me, make my life easier, as you said, um, and just serve my ministry. And I was a pastor before I was a therapist. And so that's where that kind of came from. Like, don't you want somebody to support your ministry? And it was like, yeah, of course, but that doesn't negate that I want to support her ministry as well. Can I be secure enough in my masculinity that she can be an equal? Why does she have to be small so that I can be big? Am I that insecure? And, and sadly, many men, especially in ministry, are. <laughs> we are that threatened. Um, and I would argue that's you know probably a longer conversation. But if you know the statistics are true that fifty percent of pastors are engaged in pornography, then there's probably a reason why we're really scared of the feminine <laughs> and scared yeah. to be challenged by the feminine. I, I've always thought of, especially in the last fifteen years or so, that idea of helpmate is bidirectional, and that what my wife is to be my helpmate for is for me to become whole and that yes. me as a helpmate is to help her become whole. And, yes. you know, we, we see right there in Genesis three, how their brokenness was already playing out where the woman is reaching and grasping for something that will be yes. life-giving and how the man Adam is there and he's checked out and he's avoiding. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And I've done some research in, uh, for the new book, uh, marriage book that Christian and I are working on about that word helpmate. And you may know more than me, but one of the things was talking about how it actually means savior. And it's just like, it was only used a few times to referring to actually to God. And it's like, Oh wow. Like this is not, you know, what is it? John Eldridge says hamburger helper. Like this is much bigger. This is much deeper. Um, and it, and it elevates women to a place 
Exactly. Way, way, way beyond uh, discussion about roles and yes. outside of the home and, um, you know, salaries and, and things like that. Although that's an exactly. important conversation that the woman is the savior. Ooh. Yeah, there's so much there to unpack. So this is not a conversation about uh, femininity and womanhood. We'll have to do that separately sometime, maybe the two of you guys together when that book comes out. But yeah. um, a couple other things I want to cover before we wrap up. So I'd be doing our listeners a disservice if I did not tell them that in your book, there's a chapter called Hello, Good Penis. And um, <laughs> yes. it, it's it's not a throwaway. It's actually really important. And you wrote mm-hmm. this because of how most of us have contempt for yes. our body parts and especially yes. our genitals. So yes. behind that, why'd you write that chapter? Yeah. So a lot of, you know, a few essays, and I'll get back to that essay in particular, but it's talking about the importance of male embodiment for us to become whole, for us to become sexually healthy, we have to become embodied because porn has taught us to be out of our body, almost watching ourselves as we objectify, as we, as we masturbate to women, as we, as we do these uh, things, it's almost like we can't be in our own body. Cause if we were telling ourselves the truth that we were participating in sexual exploitation, violence against women, I would have a difficult time orgasming, right? Like I have to be out of my body to engage this behavior. So then we learn how to be disconnected. We learn, you know, so many of the men that I work with, it's like, we got to become in our bodies. We have to actually become uh, embodied. And so that then goes into how do we begin to bless our body? How do we begin to actually bless the, the places where we have historically cursed? Maybe you've used your penis as a weapon uh, historically. Maybe you've used it to harm. Well, how do you own your failures? But also bless your body. Also know that God resides in your body. Your God resides in your face. You are good. You are a temple. Um, and, and that's the work of even blessing your penis. Can you stand in front of the mirror and, and bless your good penis? Can you take back what evil has tried to steal, right? That you've historically cursed. You only have two choices. You can only bless or curse. So how are you going to engage your body? How will you engage your penis? Um, and your penis has a story. Will you let it talk? I'm, I'm working on another article right now that says if my penis could talk or something. You know, it's just like it's ridiculous sounding. And yet, like that's the work of healing. We have stories. Our bodies need to talk. Will you listen? Will you be kind and curious? I can see the meme now for our podcast. <laughs> if your penis could talk, what would it say? <laughs> And, you know, in the work that we do, this is just normal conversation, and this might be pushing the boundaries for some people. But the reason this is important is um, what you what you brought up is in the blessing or cursing. Shame is more than just a thought in our head, like I'm not good enough. It gets embodied deep inside of us, and we can feel that shame in our genitals, in our stomach, in our chest, you know, and lead to all kinds of symptoms. Isn't it true? Exactly. one of the leading non-organic causes of erectile dysfunction is shame and anxiety mm. in men. Um, yep, so exactly. There's a very practical reason to do this. What are other exactly. ways that embodiment is important? And I guess my final question mm. to wrap up, and I, I just can't recommend your book highly enough. Mm, um, how do men heal? How do mm-hmm. they change? And how do they get not only sober, but I yeah. make the distinction between sober and free. You know, sober is from yes. something. Freedom is toward something. Yes, yes. 
Well, one, you know, it's time to stop kind of playing games. It's time to stop kind of talking about the idea and actually begin to live differently. What we believe is not what we say. (laughs) What we believe is how we live. And that's a very important distinction because so many of us talk a big game and yet how we live is what it's about. And so if you actually become authentic man, will you own it? Will you own the fact that you have an unhealthy relationship with women? that you have a history of pornography abuse. You know, so many times I say to men, and this, again, might, might sound provocative, but like, if you're going to be a sex addict, if you're going to, then go for it. Ha- at least have integrity. Go ahead. You know, if you're going to go pick up prostitutes and go to strip club, like, at least, at least be honest rather than being two-faced, rather than being a, a Christian, you know, leader on Sundays and then having this hidden secret life. I can at least respect, even though I think it's foul and incredibly wrong, I can at least respect the authenticity of just owning your darkness fully, right? And so that's, authenticity is one of the number one things that we step into right at the beginning of the healing process of how can you be fully integrated? How can you be fully authentic? Not just honest. I think I find a lot of men that are honest, but are not authentic, and so it's be making peace with our vulnerability, making peace with our futility, and really stepping into that authentic space. You cannot look at pornography and be an authentic man at the same time. You can't. Say more about the difference between honesty and authenticity. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of guys are, you know, I'm a straight shooter, I'm, but then they're, they're cowards in the way they live or whatever. It's like, we can be honest without being vulnerable. And so vulnerability actually costs you something. Honesty, not necessarily. Um, And so will you actually begin to surrender, open your hands to your partner, open your heart, invite them into your shame stories, invite them into the places that you hold so tightly. That is vulnerability. That is, then that's what cultivates genuine intimacy and connection, right? That's what's actually is behind the porn use is a longing to connect. Well, will you have the courage to connect? Will you actually be vulnerable with those around you, your partner? Larry Crabb said to me 30 years ago in, in that same year that I studied with uh, Dr. Allender, he said, and this was where I would let 75% of my sexual addiction out and hide the other 25%. We were having a conversation. And he said, the easy thing to do about lust, and of course, he was smiling as he said that because it's not easy. He right. said, move toward your wife with all of your heart. And, you know, it boils down to that, that that pornography and fantasy and lust is we remain locked inside of ourselves, that the object of femininity doesn't require anything of us, but it requires everything and the potential wounding and exposure. But on the positive side of that is that we're known and there's a there's a muscle in our masculine soul that begins to grow. And we realize that the we're not inadequate. Exactly. Exactly. And the more you practice that, the more, the more ripped you get, right? The more, the more strength you become, the more courage grows. Um, and the more you step into cowardly behavior and inauthentic behavior, the more that's going to grow. And so, you know, that if you want to get, get well, then let's step into it. Let's, let's begin to, to really dive into this material, dive into your material, like, we like I truly believe, I see men change every day. This is not impossible, and yet it is painful. It is hard. <laughs> it is difficult. 
So, Andrew, in closing, you talk about embodiment and you give some practical things to do because a fair amount of what you're writing about and my approach is about looking inward, looking at brokenness, pain, uh, repentance, restoration, deep repentance. But on that embodiment level, you talk a little bit about breathing, being still as ways of connecting with what's inside of. So give some, um, some thoughts about the importance of those practical physical uh, practices. Yeah. Yeah. We do a lot of um, in the groups that I run and the uh, work that I do, you know, we, we stop, we breathe deep um, before any, any um, trauma story, we do uh, an exercise with our body. So we stand up, um, we, we hop around, we move our arms, we move our legs, we open our mouth really wide and make weird sounds um, and, and let, you know, let our growl, like we, we, and we get into our bodies and we all look silly. And yet it's like, so then we go into, you know, a trauma, we share a trauma story or only after we become embodied, because if I am disconnected from my body, when I enter into trauma, great harm can be done. I have to feel my body so I can actually grieve my story because the trauma split us from our body. And now we're being asked to enter back into that trauma. We have to then enter back into our body. And when we can do that, when we can practice that, then we can be more embodied um, in sex with our partner, right? In, in engaging pornography or not. Actually, pornography becomes way less enticing when I, when I live more embodied because it's such a disembodied thing. It's just like, I don't want, I don't want this, this fake stuff. I want the real thing. I'm going to pursue my wife. I'm going to actually engage and take a risk because it's way better when it's real than when it's fake. That's so good. So good. Well, all of this is um, making a very large statement that these issues are about something so much more than we had a bad moment or that we weren't Mm -hmm. strong enough to resist temptation, but that these are issues of the heart and yes. if we're going to experience freedom and restoration, that we have to go into the heart, including the brokenness of the heart. So, exactly. Thank you for what you're doing. Tell our listeners your website where they can learn more about your ministry, your counseling, and your other books. Yeah, so you can find us uh, christiancc.org. And we, my wife and I, run the Christian Counseling Center for Sexual Health and Trauma. Um, and you can find my personal website, andrewjbauman.com. And I do a lot of blogging there. Um, I got a survey there you can ch- take if you want to test to see if you are a sexually healthy man or if your partner is a sexually healthy man. Uh, you can take that survey on my website and all my books. Uh, we have a film, documentary film. Everything's on Amazon. Um, and I appreciate you having me on and support. And you're, you're based in now North Carolina, right? So we have two locations. So we are in Seattle uh, most of the year. And then the East Coast part of the year, COVID has us a little discombobulated. But uh, so we do intensives in Seattle and do intensives on the East Coast in North Carolina as well. You just fly the ministry jet back and forth. That's right. That's right. We've been working on those the multi-million dollar jet and just kind of that's where we do our sessions in the jet. Good luck with that. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, <right. laughs> thanks so much for taking time to talk. And I um, uh, can't wait for more people to find out about the book. Thank you. So we've wrapped up another episode of Restoring the Soul. We want you to know that Restoring the Soul is so much more than a podcast. 
In fact, the heart of what we have done for nearly 20 years is intensive counseling. When you can't wait months or years to get out of the rut you're in, our intensive counseling programs in Colorado allow you to experience deep change in half-day blocks over two weeks. To learn more, visit RestoringTheSoul.com. That's RestoringTheSoul.com. Thank you.